0: Hi everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. I'd like to welcome you to the Progressive Commentary Hour. We're in our 45th year of broadcasting. Each week we take a very serious topic and we invite some of the leading minds in the world to address it. And today our topic is The United States' Dismal Failure in Foreign Policy and the Rise of a New Geopolitical Order. Now what does that mean? Well, to help break this down from what happened in Afghanistan, what did we gain after being there for 20 years and all the people who were displaced, the people who were killed, and now the Taliban's right back where they started, except they have one of the world's largest armies, uh, thanks to us. And how did that happen? Knowing we were pulling out, why didn't we completely uh, take everything with us or make sure that nothing could be rebuilt? Knowing that they can get people from Pakistan's intelligence, China, and other countries to come in there and say, okay, we can fix all this. Now you got a very big army. And... Uh, but we did it all wrong. But didn't we do the same thing in Vietnam? Yes. Didn't we, didn't we arm what would the Mujahideen that would later turn some of those guns against us, or form terrorist groups? Yes, we did. What about Assad in Syria? We were talked into, convinced by the media and by the government, that Assad was gassing his own people and represented an existential threat to the United States and neighbors. So we did everything we could to take him out. And had Russia not intervened, he would have been taken out. And then look look at, unfortunately, the wonderful population of Libya, and look what we did to their country. They were the Paris of Africa. And now look at it. And yet no one has said, you know, I'm sorry, my fault. This is all part of our dismal failure. But we're going to talk about something more current, and that is... Ukraine. What have I told you that there was an effort to end the war, come to some negotiated peace settlement that Putin had put forward, and yet it was rejected. Who rejected it, and why? Because they rejected it, hundred-plus billion dollars has been given to Ukraine, and we don't know how much that has been stolen, and over a half million of its citizens, mainly young men, have been killed, as well as many, uh, more than 100,000 Russians. Why? What would have been the goal of not coming to a peaceful settlement? My guest to answer these questions is Ray McGovern. Ray's been on this program many times. He is, uh, well, he's as close to a, a foreign policy oracle as you can get. Ray has unique insight, for good reason. Aside from him serving in Army Intelligence as an officer, and he served as an analyst in the CIA for 27 years under seven different presidential administrations, starting with John F. Kennedy, going right up to George Bush, Sr. Now, what did he do? Well, he was like the cipher that takes all the information from the different departments and makes a presentation. That presentation has to take very complex items and make them easily understood by a president because Ronald Reagan, not the brightest guy in the world, didn't like things too complicated, didn't like to do a lot of reading so then Ray gives this off and then the, the CIA special advisor goes in and shares this with the presidents right up to, um, I think it was George Bush Senior's, where he ended but since then he has been a part of veteran intelligence professionals for sanity, to expose the way intelligence was falsified to justify a war in Iraq. And his website is um, antiwar.com. And, uh, excuse me, uh, his website is raymcgovern.com, but his writings can be found on antiwar.com, the Sheer Post, Consortium News, among others. Oh, by the way, he also holds... Uh, degrees and certificates in theology from Georgetown University. Uh, He's a graduate of Harvard Business School and also uh, had a background in theology and philosophy from Fordham University. So he brings a completely different perspective uh, to the discussion. Nice to have you with us today, Ray.
1: Thank you very much, Gary.
0: Ray, I'm going to turn it over to you to go into greater depth about Uh, the whole idea of our foreign policy debacles and why we just keep doing the same thing over and over again when we're supposed to have the best and brightest at the State Department, Defense Department, and all these uh, support groups, all these NGOs. You're talking about possibly hundreds of thousands of people with different contracts who are giving input upon some aspect of our foreign policy. Why in the Dickens do they keep getting it wrong? I mean, repeatedly wrong from Vietnam right up till today, and yet no one is ever held accountable. In fact, the, one of the latest debacles to show you how convoluted the intelligence agencies are is when 51 former intelligence top executives, including the head of the CIA, Brennan, the head of the National Security Agency, Clapper, and other CIA uh, heads, all signed a letter saying that it was their opinion that the Hunter Biden laptop was actually more likely not a Russian disinformation campaign. At the same time that that went out, then the public and the media kept thinking, well, then there's nothing there. There's no there there. But in point of fact, we later found out the FBI had already confirmed it was legitimate. It was real. It wasn't Russian. And yet, not one of those people has come forward and said, you know something? I use my position as one of America's leading intelligence uh, overseers to not tell the truth. And there's a consequence to that. No one does that. So it's like the CIA can get away with anything and has. I'd like for you to address some of the sins and omissions of the CIA and why it doesn't seem to anything ever gets changed. But first, I'd like to play a clip. This is a short, one-minute clip. and uh, And this is a... Uh, this is one of the people from Ukraine, one of the ambassadors with the Ukrainian delegation, who negotiated the peace deal with Russia in Istanbul in April of 2022. But recently he stated his opinion publicly about how Putin was committed to bring the conflict to an end at the very beginning. And yet it, it was rejected. Think of the consequences that we would have had a settlement. We wouldn't have had all these people dying. We wouldn't have had destruction of infrastructure. We wouldn't have had millions, tens of millions of people leaving Ukraine. So why was it rejected? Who was responsible for it? So this treaty was almost a done deal, yet it was scuttled by Boris Johnson and certainly on the orders of the Biden administration. But let's play the clip now. It's only about 60 seconds long. We'll go to the clip.
2: I was in that moment in the group of Ukrainian negotiators, we negotiated with Russian delegation practically two months in March and April, the possible peaceful settlement agreement between Ukraine and Russia. And we, as you remember, concluded so-called Istanbul communique, and we were very close in the middle of April, in the end of April, to finalize our war with some peaceful settlement. For some reasons, it was postponed. But to my mind, Putin, this is my personal view, Putin in one week after started his aggression in 24 February last year, very quickly understood he did mistake and tried to do everything possible to conclude agreement with Ukraine and Istanbul communique it was his personal decision to accept the text of this communique which totally far away from the initial proposal of Russia ultimatum proposal of Russia which they put before the Ukrainian delegation in Minsk so we managed to find a very real compromise so Putin really wanted to reach some peaceful settlement with Ukraine. It's very important to remember.
0: Okay, therefore, Ray, if you would please share your insights about if this entire conflict could have come quickly to an end and could have been settled on terms that were very favorable to Ukraine and yet met Russia's security concerns regarding NATO's advance on Russian borders What is the United States' real motivation for keeping the conflict going despite how absolutely devastating it has been for Ukraine? And this week, a Ukrainian official stated on Ukrainian media uh, that they had lost over half a million men in combat, and it should be clear to everyone now that neither Ukraine nor the U.S.-led NATO force have the military capabilities to defeat Russia, except perhaps with nuclear weapons how much of Biden's administration wanted to keep this proxy war going, uh, and that is very important. And why is it that no one in the media, no one, broke this story and challenged them on this, yet they had the same information? Gloria Newland, Blanken, Jake Sullivan, Lloyd Austin. uh, These are not, in my opinion, the best and brightest. They're all neocons. They're all complicit. And then, given the U.S.'s dismal failure in Ukraine, the fact that our top military command got all their predictions and expectations horribly wrong, what do you believe is the future of our national security? Take your time. The form is yours.
1: Thank you, Gary. Um, send me in, coach. <laughs> uh, the short answer is uh, there is a tragedy here, a real human tragedy, not just the uh, geopolitical tragedy, we have we have destroyed Ukraine. We uh, we by supporting Zelensky and the people that he is beholden to, many of them proto-Nazis, into thinking that they could take on the United that they could take on Russia. Now, before I forget, I'll just mention that Obama had his head screwed on, right? He warned uh, during his administration uh, that there are core interests and that Russia had a core interest in protecting its border in Europe. It did not want Ukraine to join NATO and that, uh, that countries with the ability to protect their core interests do so. And that the worst thing we could possibly do, this is Obama, okay, quote, is to give the Ukrainians the idea that they could defeat a much more powerful Russia. Period. End quote. Well, uh, I I spoke of tragedy, and the short answer is hubris, uh, the tragic flaw of all those all those heroes, so to speak, in Aeschylus, Euripides, Sophocles. It's a, it's a Greek tragedy, and hubris is the name of the game translated from the Greek, it means overweening arrogance, and it was the downfall of all those Greek heroes, okay? The other thing is cui bono. Now, that's Latin, but most people know that that means, who who profits from this? And that's real easy. The only people profiting from this are the people making, selling the arms, getting part of the proceeds in our Congress, appropriating still more money for arms, sending more arms, having those arms destroyed, appropriating more money for more arms. That is the military industrial complex, so-called by President Eisenhower before he left. It was a really stern warning, his last, you know, his uh, his speech as he left. And important uh, was his observation that the only thing that can prevent this. The only antidote to the military industrial complex, as he called it at the time, was a well-informed citizenry. And we ain't got that. You know the reasons why we have a mainstream media that is fronting for the MIC, for the military industrial complex. As a matter of fact, it's very much part of it now. I would just repeat an acronym that I fashioned a couple of years ago and that is Actually, in the dictionary now, you can remember it. If you have a pencil; you might take it down. It's the Mickey Mat. It sort of sort of uh, rhymes a little bit with Mickey Mouse, so you can remember it. Uh, if you have a pencil, it's the military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, media, academia, think tank complex, Mickey Mat. Why do I say media, as if in all caps? Because the media is the key. Uh, this won't work without the media support, and the media has been uh, has been deceiving us all along. Now, before I go into the scenario with respect to how the Russians were deceived by uh, uh, by the Ukrainians when they. Towed the line when they were told by the U.S. and, and the U.K. Look, no deal, no deal. We're, we're going to win this thing, and we're going to we're going to support you quote for as long as it takes end quote. And Zelensky putatively said back, "Are you sure?" And he was told, "Of course we're sure for as long as it takes." And as president. Biden recently said on 60 Minutes, remember, we're the United States of America, for God's sake. We can do what we want. We're the strongest country in the history of the world. Got that? In the history of the world. End quote. Okay. So, Dolinsky bought that, and now it's not for as long as it takes. It's for as long as we can. And we're running out of money and pozolinsky and all those guys it's hard to feel sorry for them because they were terribly naive um they're left holding the bag and the russians are advancing gradually attrition 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 is the name of the game the russians can go to the Dnieper river as as whenever they wish but they're trying to play a cautious game lest biden and Biden and company resort to the only thing they have left. And Gary, I I know you feel very strongly about that. So I'll mention that right up front. The only thing they have left are nuclear weapons. Okay. Now, this is the first time in recorded history, and I'm around five decades. Okay. So that's my recorded history. (laughs) The first time. That one nuclear power took on another nuclear power, arming and strengthening another proxy war. Okay, we have the US doing that in Ukraine. Now, that's big. During the you know, earlier five decades, both the USSR and Russia and, and the US refrained from actually I'll go back I go back to John F. Kennedy. I mean, he's the guy that got me down to Washington in the first place. What he said was this. This was the famous speech at the American University, 10th of June, 1963. I had just joined the CIA. This is what Kennedy said. The worst thing we can do as a nuclear power is to back another nuclear power into a choice between, quote, a humiliating defeat end quote, and using nuclear weapons. Now, I think that deserves to be upfront in this this conversation because the humiliating defeat is in store for Ukraine and the United States and NATO in general. What is Biden going to do now? What are his acolytes, Blinken and not no not Nod, but Blinken and Sullivan and Nolan going to do? Well, I'm afraid, and this is the first time I will say this, watching these events for a half a century, I'm afraid that they'll say, Mr. President, look, we have so so fashioned these small mini nukes. Oh, they're only about one tenth the 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 power of of what we dropped on Hiroshima, and so let's. Let's drop one of those. Uh, let's prevent a humiliating defeat in Ukraine. But just one: I don't show those Russians. I don't show, and that will give us some breathing space. And then you still have a chance to win the election in November. Would they do that? I would not rule it out. The hair is, uh, <laughs> the hair on the back of my neck is still rising. Okay, uh, it's crazy. So, so that's where we are now. Um, I would, you know, I just pause here for a second to let people let that sink in. Uh, a choice between a humiliating defeat and using nuclear weapons. Okay, that goes back to nineteen sixty-three in that speech. It's operative now. It's not a choice that Russia has, it's a choice that the US and NATO has. Will they risk will they risk a humiliating defeat being disclosed to all the world? Well, they have to say well we didn't mean that we would support ukraine for as long as it takes we, we meant as the new phraseology goes uh, just as long as we can and we can't anymore but we don't have any more weapons we don't have any more money and yeah so, we, so what's going to happen an election year i'll just finish up this little segment with this election year okay now if biden has a humiliating defeat in Ukraine. He will have a humiliating defeat in November. Now, if he's defeated in November, he has a personal stake in what happens next, because sorry to say he and Hunter, his son, and also Blinken and Sullivan have a personal stake in this. I've seen enough of the evidence in court documents and congressional testimony to know that if that other guy comes in, vindictive as he is wont to be, these guys I just mentioned could end up in jail for God's sake. The evidence is so strong, bribery and the rest of it. Okay. Now, lastly, I mentioned Tony Blinken. Now what kind what kind of crime did he do? Well, let me name just one, okay? You mentioned earlier on, Gary, that 51 former intelligence managers all signed a letter saying Hunter Biden's laptop was the product of a Russian intelligence disinformation operation. When did they say that? About a week before the last debate between Biden and Trump. Yeah. Was it true? It was not true. Did they know it wasn't true? If they took the trouble to check with the FBI, the FBI had the laptop, for God's sake. They had months to look at it. The FBI had already decided it was as authentic as could be. Okay? So how did this all go down? It was Blinken, Tony Blinken, who called up his old friend, Mikey Morrell, who was acting director of the cia for a while i said mikey this is awful uh, we have to do something about that the election is two weeks off uh, can you round up a, a, a whole bunch of intelligence people uh, who he didn't say it this way but who are as corrupt as you and, and get them to attest that this is russian disinformation uh answer from mikey morell yes sir how soon do you need it well, the next debate is, is next week, for God's sake. Okay, no but no problem. So Mikey Morel calls fifty <laughs> former intelligence directors and managers of all kinds and gets them to sign on to this statement saying this this operation, this Russian operation having to do with Hunter Biden's laptop is clearly has all the earmarks of a Russian intelligence disinformation operation. OK, they get that out there. <laughs> Politico and all these mainstream media people, oh, they they fashion that, OK? And what happens next? Well, the debate happens next. And Joe Biden is asked by Trump, uh, Mr. Biden, what about Hunter Laptops, Hunter Biden's Laptop, your son's laptop, which shows you know, all kinds of bribery and all that stuff by you. and What about that? <laughs> and, and you can remember Biden's, Biden's, oh, come on. You know, Mr. Trump, it, didn't you hear, didn't you read that this is just the, op- this bears all the earmarks of, of, a, of a Russian intelligence disinformation operation? I mean, you have 50, 50 uh, intelligence directors attested to this, including two or three from that used to be the head of the CIA. Come on. And Trump, of course, <laughs> no, still not wise to the ways of Washington, they didn't know how to answer that. When was the election? A couple days later. OK, so what I'm saying is that this all started with Tony Blinken calling up Mikey Morell. Now, the FBI has attested to the fact that this was all fiction, that if anybody had called him, and I imagine one of those fifty or fifty one would have called them and asked you know, this, Well, they knew even then, months before, that this was authentic as can be, and that laptop and what's in it is gonna get um, Hunter and his daddy in trouble deep, as we used to say in the comic book. So uh they're all vulnerable. And what I get back to is the fact that this has a, a personal there's a personal stake in this, not to have a humiliating defeat in Ukraine, in the election, and then be susceptible to prosecution from the likes of the other guy that might come in. Uh, And yeah, so history is replete, with examples of personal stakes uh, having great weight in decisions of great moment. And that's why we're trying to hang in in Ukraine, even though it's not the Ukrainians. It's not the Russians that are running out of ammunition. It's the Ukrainians. I'll I'll simply close this segment by saying, look, exactly, well, not exactly, it was in December of 2002 uh, that Biden was briefed, and so was the public, by the National Intelligence Director. Her name is Avril Haynes. And she said publicly, imagine she said this privately to the president as well, we are in very good shape. I am optimistic. I just caution here that intelligence analysts are not supposed to be optimistic or pessimistic. They're supposed to lay out the facts as they were. Well, at she said, I'm very optimistic about this, oh, about this spring offensive that we've armed to Ukraine for the teeth they're going to win this thing. And you know what? Worse still for the Russians. Guess what? They're running out of ammunition, and they have no indigenous capability to produce more arms. So, man, this is going to go great. What did the head of the CIA say? The same thing. And he added, the Russians are bloodied. They're going to suffer defeat because their, their armed forces are not up to par, and they be. Humiliated by what happens now. Now, bear in mind, this is January. Okay, Uh, a year ago and one month, that's what President Biden was told. My God, they couldn't have been more than, well, it was 186 degrees away from what the true situation is. That's what the intelligence community has been reduced to telling the president. What he wants to hear because the president, I'll just say it once more, is convinced as he said three weeks ago, we're well, the United States of America, for God's sake, the most powerful nation in the world. Did you get that? In the whole world, period. End quote. Hubris, a sense of arrogance, overweening arrogance, and the profiteering by the by the Mickey Mat, the military, industrial. Congressional Intelligence, Media, Academia, Think Tank complex. That's what's run this thing and run it into ruin. And I fear, I fear again, with the hair standing up on the back of my head, that these, these acolytes of Biden have so much personal stake in this, as well as political stake that they might encourage the president to go to the last mile here. And you saw oh, they just did such a little mini-nukes. And the military tells us, no, it, that wouldn't escalate necessarily. Just kind of, kind of do this and stave off defeat. After all, we only have about nine or ten months left before November.
0: Wow. Let's break down a few things you said and give us a little more insight on those. And con- the context is important here. Why is it that the media has not called out all of those Uh, intelligence operatives, the heads of these agencies for being wrong and none of them actually reviewed the Hunter Biden laptop. So how could you be so sure of something when you personally have not seen the evidence pro or con? That's one issue, but they haven't. And secondly, when we look at what is happening in Ukraine, we have had multiple reports and even videos of the former bag man for Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine before Zelensky, and he laid out very detailed, very methodical. He's on camera, he's being interviewed, you can see him, but it was not shown anywhere in the United States. And he said, well, we would get money from these major corporations that were involved in corrupt practices, cash, and then these would go to the main office. Then I would be told, how much we had to give to each legislator in Ukrainian's parliament to buy their vote. And you could only get their vote if you buy their vote. And the vote was, I think he used the figure uh, twenty-five dollars to $50,000, depending upon who the person was and what the vote was for. And then you start doing the math, and you thought, whoa. So an awful lot of the money that we've sent has been to buy politicians' votes. Then you start seeing the, when this starts to leak out, um, you start saying, well, what's our plan B? This is what the bagman's saying. And he said, just you got to pay everyone. Everyone's, everyone's culpable in Ukraine. And then we've been told repeatedly, yeah, it's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And then we find out from Gloria Newland just by uh, Matt Gates from T- uh, Florida asked her a question and he had no idea that what would come from this. And do we have chemical or biological uh, laboratories in Ukraine? She's yes, we have, I think, 23. She said, 23 or 26. But no one in the media asked, why would the United States build and support biological weapons in Ukraine, knowing that in this battle, Russia could uh, find them, but Russia probably has their own. All these countries have their own biological weapons. When we've already signed an international treaty that we cannot engage in the development and use of offensive weapons, then we find out that, uh, that this all went blank. In other words, it was no longer a news story. Take that out of the cycle. That's not a part of our narrative. And take out that Russian officials are corrupt and take out how Zelensky had a couple of his buddies buy him a yacht um, and a couple others bought him a home for $5 million in a, the exclusive area of Egypt. Oh, and the Panama Papers that came out several years ago that showed where people had their money, um, right there in the Panama Papers, before when he was just a television comedian uh, playing the role of a president in Ukrainian television, he had over $1.1 billion in cash in in banks at that time. There was no legitimate way to have made that money in it, you can't look at his assets, you can't look at the corruption, you can't look at biological weapons and what we were doing with those there. Then it turns out we have them in Africa, we have them in some very unstable places. And you think, why is none of this being covered by the media? What is the purpose of all this? And is anyone in Congress willing to call all of this out? And thus far the answer is no. Your thoughts, please.
1: It's money, Gary, money, money, money. Um, where do I start? Well, the media is totally subservient uh, to the rest of the Mickey I, Matt, okay? It's the, what shall I call It's the cornerstone. Without the media being actually co-opted, actually controlled, actually funded, by the rest of the Mickey Mat, the military-industrial-congressional-intelligence think tank academia uh, apparatus, uh, you, you they they are controlled by all this. Okay, so what's what's a good example? Most people, you go down the street and you ask somebody, "What about Russian hacking?" The Russian hacking that served to defeat. Hillary Clinton in 2016, my God, and gave us that terrible guy, Trump. Oh, what about that? Well, guess what, folks? (laughs) The New York Times and the Washington Post have known for 45 months that congressional testimony by the head of the firm, it's called CrowdStrike, the head of the firm that the FBI enlisted to do the forensics on those. DNC, Democratic National Committee, emails, uh, they found out that there was no hacking by Russia or by anyone else, but they lied about it. Finally, the House Intelligence Committee got the head of CrowdStrike before it. The date was—remember this now, I got a pencil—5 December 2017. And this fellow, Sean Henry, said, there is no technical evidence that anyone hacked the DNC computers, not Russia, not anyone else, and we would have that technical evidence, okay? Now, uh, Adam Schiff, who took over the House Intelligence Committee, kept that in his bottom drawer under lock and key for two and a half years. (laughs) Good! And... And again, Trump, not wise to the ways of Washington, wasn't wasn't all didn't even think that he had he was president, right? So he had the, he had the power to release that testimony. Finally, he got a new national intelligence director in and he said, Mr. President, you're the president, right? So you can you can tell Schiff, uh, you can yeah, ask me to tell Schiff, look, release that thing. And so that happened, okay? Uh, Schiff released it right away when the new director of national intelligence said, look, if you don't release it, I'm going to release it. Now, what was that date? That date was exactly 45 months ago, the 9th of May 2020. Whoa! So you have, I would guess, 70% of Americans still believing that the Russians are responsible for, for Donald Trump, for God's sake? For, for for making Hillary Clinton lose, and all these other things about Russian interference in 2020 as well, which are unfounded. Uh, and, and you have a situation where the media really rules this country. As Eisenhower warned, again, if there's not a well-educated uh, me, uh, populace, you have no way to pre- prevent the accretion of power desired or not desired, as, as Eisenhower said, by the rest of the military-industrial complex. Now, what else did I want to say? Um, Newland, uh, you know, she, you were talking about billions of dollars in how Ukraine is known to be the most corrupt country in Europe. I don't know if there are any others in, in Africa that would vie for the corruption, but Newland admitted on December of two thousand and uh, let's see, two thousand uh,
0: twenty-two,
1: wasn't it? right before the invasion, uh, she admitted that quote: We have invested five billion, uh, billion with a B, okay, um, dollars in uh, Ukraine's aspirations for uh, joining the West, okay. That was December, the the, the month before February two thousand and and fourteen, when we had the most blatant coup in history in Kiev, uh, with with the, uh, but you know why do I say the blatant coup in history because, it was advertised on the fourth of February, uh, and it was con- it conducted on the twenty second, so that's what about two and a half. Now, McGovern, come on, advertise. (laughs) It was on YouTube, for God's sake. Intercept the conversation between Victoria Nuland herself and her puppet ambassador there in Kiev at the time, uh, Jeffrey Pyatt, naming the people who would take power after the coup and saying, oh, we checked with Jake Sullivan, you know, uh, Joe Biden's... uh, Uh, Vice President Joe Biden's National Security Advisor, and he says Biden is ready to come in and seal this deal. If we need an international um, personality to do that, he's ready to do it. And so they went ahead (laughs) two and a half half, uh, weeks later. Do people know that? Of course they don't. So if people are kept in ignorance, if people, you know, People have two jobs, for God's sake. They come home, they put their feet up, they feed the kids, and then they watch Fox News, for God's sake. So our job, and the reason I'm delighted to, to talk to you on, on such a, a way where I could actually just say some things, um, is, is to make sure that people are aware that we are available. We're trying to tell the truth. That was our profession, at least those of us in the CIA before it became corrupted. Okay. Then we can tell the truth because almost all the information you need to make cogent judgments on the prospects for success, Ukraine against Russia, for God's sake, are very readily available from history and from open sources. And, you know, I could go on forever, Gary, and uh, thanks for uh, being this an ad-
0: I And then we appreciate your insights. Now to something that is also very important that is not discussed at all in most of the media, or any of the mainstream media, and that is that the dollar upon which all of our assets are based, it is the foundation of our uh, stock market, our real estate market, our cars, that is going to be challenged in the next, I would say, maximum 24 to 48 months. And uh, we've never had that happen before, not since Brenton Woods established uh, establish the viability of the United States as the world's leading economic power. I want you, if you would please, to talk about how there's a shift in the geopolitical axis underway from the United States and and Europe uh, uh, to the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, but now six other nations, including Iran, including uh, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Mexico, and uh, Argentina. But beyond that, waiting right off stage and willing to come up in the next probably 12 months are other countries, as many as 21 additional countries in the world, to join the BRICS group. Clearly, at that point, that would make them the world's leading economic power, that would make them the world's largest holder of natural resources. Right now as we speak, at this moment, if you take Russia and China together, just those two, they have up to 90% of the control over essential minerals, including minerals necessary for making satellites, cell phones, uh, cars, uh, lithium batteries. Um, And yet, you have the neocons, uh, like Sean Hannity and everyone over at Fox, uh, chomping at the bit to say, you know, we need to go to war with Iran. We need to teach him a lesson. And you know, the, the the only person I know who looks like he was a genetic experiment between a human and a walrus, and John Bolton, and suddenly you have <laughs> he does, doesn't he? <laughs> and and now they want a quote limited nuclear war, which is not possible. And so this is where we're going. So when the day comes, and it will, absolutely, positively, unequivocally, because there's as many as 71 countries in the world that want to join Russia and China and India, using their mixed currencies, no longer using the Canadian dollar, the American dollar, the British pound, the European euro, and the Japanese yen. And those will collapse like a lead balloon, the value of the dollar. Now, mind you, with that collapse, and that is inevitable, will come a collapse in the real estate market. There'll be uh, the enormous debt, over $333 trillion that Richard Gale and I spent a year, seeing how much actual debt, including underfunded entitlements and, uh, and unfunded entitlements, plus all the corporate debt, state debt, federal debt. Put all the debt together, you've got $331 trillion. And then you look at our assets, or our income, which is about $26 trillion. We are the most in bankrupt country, in the world, 1,200% debt to our gross domestic product. But now that's still keeping the dollar powerful until the BRICS suddenly announces, we're the number one manufacturing center of the world. We supply more goods and services than any other country. And that's coming, and no one is preparing for it. No one is looking at it. Uh, We just go into some form of disquieting uh, illusion that this isn't about to happen, give us your perspective, because that will definitely change the world economic power.
1: Well, Gary, uh, it's really a sad story. Um, uh, You know, the, uh, the collapse in our economic interests will be accelerated by this latest brainstorm. I dare say I think this may be Biden himself. What are we going to do about Ukraine? My God, the, the Congress might not give us enough money. Oh, hey, let's seize three hundred billion dollars of Russian assets. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> does he? Does he have any sane uh, economic advisors? We'll say, Mr. President, that would accelerate this collapse uh, by a by by a great deal. Okay, we can't. Do, that's not a good. That would be shooting ourselves in both feet. Okay, Mr. President. But I I dare say that's on the horizon. What I like to say is that BRICS is really the answer. It's more powerful now than the G7 economically. um, BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Who are the two biggies? China and Russia. Now, what the neophyte, the acolytes that Biden has around him, Uh, Totally naive about what the old Russians used to call, the old Soviets actually, the correlation of forces, Okay, the international correlation of forces, which you really had to have a balance or else you're going to have real danger that one will try to sneak up on the other. Now, when Biden in some panic over Ukraine called up Vladimir Putin and said, look, uh, Mr. President, we need to get together. Uh, Face to face is how I do things. Let's have a summit. And sure enough, they had one in June, June 16, 2021. Now, I wrote a piece before that summit saying, look, what you need to know, US negotiators, Sullivan, Blinken, and the rest of them, is that the correlation of forces has changed, OK? It's the Russians and the Chinese in a virtual alliance against you guys and the rest of the really White West, OK? Well, (laughs) there's no evidence that they read my piece, because after that summit, Biden got up, and in his press conference, he immediately said, you know, uh," this is a quote. It's not appropriate for me to tell tell you what I told uh, President President, uh, Putin, but uh, but, you know, uh, he's got a real problem. Uh, He's got a country, China, uh, with a several thousand mile border between them, and and, and, you know, they've never got along. And, uh, you know, he knows, that is, Putin knows, that China wants to be the most powerful country in that kind of, that part of the world. You know, China is squeezing Mr. Putin. Wow. <laughs> Nothing. That's what he was told by Blinken and Sullivan, who were who are reading out of history books that that I wrote chapters in back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s for God's sake, they were at loggerheads then not anymore. So what am I saying here? I'm saying they was very poorly advised and I could see I could see uh, I could see Mr. Putin looking at his advisors watching Biden before he got on the plane to, to leave Geneva. Uh, saying, well, hello <laughs> what do we have to do? to give the give this side some reason to believe that China and we are together, uh, linked together by the hip in this in this free-for-all. Now, I will just add that what surprised me is that the alliance, and I call it that, between Russia and China was so close that Putin got a nihil upstart. that is, he got permission from Xi to do something completely contrary to China's bedrock foreign policy, no interference in the countries, in other countries, no violation of borders, of Westphalia, Westphalia, okay? <laughs> he went up to Beijing on the 4th of February, 2022, and he said, look, this is the situation I face in the Donbas, uh, there are Nazis in Kiev." Their military has been rebuilt by NATO to NATO standards. i going to have to go into the Donbass. What do you think? <laughs> and she, by all indications, said, "Uh, we just started the Olympics. You're not going to do that before the Olympics are over, are you? <laughs> and so Putin, no, 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 we'll wait till the end. Okay, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics in Beijing were over the 20th of February. On the 24th, uh, Lugansk and Donetsk declared independence, then they signed a mutual defense treaty with Russia. The Russian Duma approved it a day later, and the invasion happened. And am I saying that it was a a post hoc ergo proctor hoc? Well, that's a fallacy, but it did happen very curiously right after the, uh, the Winter Olympics were over in Beijing. And the, Russia, the Chinese propaganda, actually, and you could read a lot in this propaganda, it no longer said, oh, this is bad, Westphalia, failure, Westphalia, failure, violating the borders of other countries. No, no. You know what it said? Each major country has its own core interests, and when it reacts like this, well, that means it's following its core interests, and uh, we judge these kinds of situations on their own merits. Whoa. Now, the Chinese rhetoric said that for the next couple of months. Now, they're sort of back to Australia, Australia. but that gave me the indication that not only were Blinken and Nod and Sullivan completely wrong about how Russia and China could be, you could draw a wedge between them uh, and how they were loggerheads, so to speak, Uh, and to realizing, no, no, uh, even on the 4th of of February 2022. The Chinese and Russians signed a, a an agreement, a strategic document that is that bears all the earmarks of a military alliance as well as an economic alliance. So getting back to BRICS, you know, when you talk about BRICS, well, China and Russia are the biggies. And now, not only those five, but you have Iran, the UAE, Uh, You have Saudi Arabia, for God's sake, Egypt and Ethiopia having joined last week, okay? And so now there are 10. There are going to be still more, and the economic power of this is beginning to dwarf the G7, whatever whatever is left of the economic power of the lily white West.
0: And that's going to be bringing a series of collapses that will dwarf anything in 2008, in my opinion. I've studied this very carefully. And there's one other point here, Ray, that we can close with, and that is, when you hear the harbingers of of screaming, like Sean Hannity, that we must do something, and he has no background in any of this, Uh, he is so biased, And yet he is orchestrating a whole campaign, what we must do preemptively. And just think of, this is another invasion of Iraq mindset. Does he realize that Russia and China have yet to use one of the most powerful weapons they have in their cyber cyber warfare? They haven't used those yet because they don't want to show their hand. They want to show what they can do, and they haven't even used their full armamentarian yet. But imagine, then, if they use the most powerful thing they could. They stop selling anything to the United States or manufacturing products for the United States. Imagine what that would do since we've outsourced over the last 40 years over 30 million jobs and our capacity to be viably strong based upon local manufacturing, where a dollar will go 65 times around local community. Where today, where you buy something, over the Internet, it goes twice. That's it. So, the you know, the baker would, you know, you buy a loaf of bread, and then the person that owns the bakery would take their clothes to the dry cleaners, that person the dry cleaners would take them, put some movie, uh, money in a movie that night. It's circulated. That's not the case today. So, we have to wake up. We have to be more conscious than what we are. I don't know if the majority of Americans we'll be conscious because we weren't conscious back in the vietnam war we weren't conscious in a lot of times in our history but i'm confident that 10% of the american population today is aware they are seeking this information they appreciate what you have done and said because you're one of those you're one of the people who are not afraid to tell the truth you're at a place in life where your integrity your spiritual values commit you to telling the truth whereas the mainstream media, I don't see why anyone reads the New York Times, except for maybe baseball scores, but everything else is going to be biased when it comes to these foreign and domestic policies. So, Ray, I want to thank you very much for all that you're doing, and we're going to have a really serious year ahead of us because look at it like this. They lied about, um, about the, uh, of Russia joining with Trump to, to take the election. They lied about Hunter Biden's laptop. They've defended Hunter Biden and his family, even though there's incontrovertible evidence that they they sold out the power of the vice president to countries for tens of millions of dollars. That's that's in that's the evidence is there. They lie constantly about everything. So suddenly we're supposed to believe that these organizations, these NGOs, the politicians, the think tanks, the billionaires, they're all suddenly going to be honest about this election. There's no way they're going to be honest about this upcoming election. They'll do anything, including allowing 10 million immigrants in so they can vote. So we're going to be in for seeing some things, October surprises and other things that no one is counting upon. I want to thank you very much, Ray, for being with us today.
1: Most welcome.
0: I'm Gary Null. Thank you all for listening to the Progressive Commentary Hour, and please share this if you find that it has value and merit. Have a nice day.
1: i